Our focus scripture today is from Hebrews chapter 11. For many, that's a familiar scripture, and you will also hear some echoes from the scripture that Frida read from Exodus. Uh, So join me, either in your Bibles or by following along on the projection screen, uh, as we read Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 3 and 7 through 12, I believe. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him, of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, wasn't able to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it was the summer of 1986, and I hadn't even turned 10 years old yet. I was born in December of that year, of 76, not of 86. Um, but when I was almost 10, a fellow named John Francis Bongiovi Jr. Anybody recognize that name? He penned what would become one of the most popular songs of that year and what has to be one of the most requested songs at karaoke nights throughout the land. Anybody know what song I might be thinking of? I'll give you a hint. Whoa, we're halfway there. Whoa. Living on a prayer. Anybody want to join me? Take my hand. We'll make it, I swear. Whoa, living on a prayer. All right, I've done my karaoke for the day. Uh, While the song inspires many every year to believe that they too can reach the highest octaves like John Bon Jovi, the song's lyrics also speak of a hope of something better, of trying to get out of the confining station in life that Tommy and Gina, the song's characters, and so many people, young people of every generation feel that there's got to be something better out there for me, something worth attaining, some special task meant only for me or for them and and no one else. I am meant for something special and meaningful. See, all I have to do is have faith in one another and love, and gosh, we're halfway there. Well, the theme wasn't original in 1986. It really is the oldest time. People have always had to struggle against something, someone, or sometimes even themselves in order to overcome, oftentimes with the hope that their struggles matter, and that through their struggles they can make a difference. We innately want our lives to be about something that is bigger than ourselves, And when we find that cause, many times we are willing to endure a lot of strain and stress in order to reach that goal. 
One reason I hope that each of you make time to gather here throughout the week in this church community to worship, to learn, and to serve is that you deeply believe that following Christ is that cause in which you can matter, which you can't accomplish alone, and that defines who you are and what your life is about. And that is my prayer for each of us. Being committed to a local community that lives Christ's mission out in tangible ways through pointing to God's kingdom links you with others in a cause that is both hopeful and joyful, as well as daunting, hard, and sometimes even uncertain. I include uncertainty because this is a theme that runs throughout the biblical witness, even among the most faithful of God's servants. It's a theme I even heard this morning when Valerie was talking about her journey to a place that she had never been to speak a language that she didn't know. Um, It's in all of our stories. And it's in the stories of the people listed in the Faith Hall of Fame, which is oftentimes what Hebrews 11 is referred to. There, there is a list of a number of Old Testament faith heroes. Today, we'll focus on Abraham. And they all dealt with the call to be a part of God's purposes among God's people, but with uncertainty of what that might look like, how to go about it, and what it would cost them. They are included in this list in large part because of obedience and action in the face of uncertainty. And their stories are written to provide us with hope that God's call on us to represent his calls to the world really does matter. These faith stories give us the conviction to be about that work. In matters of faith and belief, there has always been a tension between trusting that God's good purposes will prevail, on the one hand, and the very tangible dangers and powers of each and every day. And this is no less true for us today. If you, I'm sure you've realized that just this summer alone, the strain, the stress, the violence, and the rhetoric we have witnessed in our own country, but also across the world, provides plenty of reason for us to shrink back in sorrow and fear and depression at the state of humanity. These fears and stresses affect each of us emotionally, relationally, physically. The struggles for power in our world and oftentimes the self-interest, the violence, and the dishonesty used in order to attain power make many of us question where the God of love is to be found. Likewise, when the Hardworking spouse has unexpectedly let go from the company he or she has committed themselves to for many years, or a sudden illness strikes, or the news that a loved one has cancer, that a baby may have a birth defect, that a brother or sister has been hospitalized because of a drunk driver. These kind of news, this kind of news throws us for a loop and can change our whole life. So how do we, as Christians, committed to reflecting God's love for all people, react in the face of uncertainty that oftentimes causes stress and fear? Perhaps it's in these unwanted and unsought times that faith becomes the most evident. The early church, they also faced a world filled with uncertainty. These people took Jesus to be the image bearer of God and the person whose life and sacrifice on the cross guaranteed them a once 
and for all forgiveness of their sin and a future with the God who created the world and all that is in it. Many of these early followers were Jews who had left the old sacrificial system and their old way of worshiping and living behind in favor of this new community that committed their life to following Jesus. But others were Gentiles, and they also had made a big change in the way they understood life lived under the Roman Empire. They too had to reorder their life in a dramatically new way in order to follow Jesus. This community and others like it believed that Jesus' return was imminent. The sacrifice of living, living, leaving behind, uh, the old way of life, their families and their religious and social practices that each once knew was helped by the hope of a swift return and deliverance to God's heavenly kingdom. But when this return began to stretch out, so did their questions, their doubts, and the fear that God's promises as shared through Jesus just wasn't as certain as they once believed. Those old ways, those tangible ways of life that these followers used to count on began tugging back at them to give up on Jesus, his community, and then return to a more predictable way of life that they once knew. Thus, the letter of Hebrews, it's focused on faith, and it's, in particular, its stories, its stories of faith, were much-needed encouragement for those who received it. The letter gives its hearers yesterday and today a chance to consider just what faith is, where it comes from, and how we live with faith today. Now, according to Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance that what we commit ourselves to is both real and worthwhile. For example, people have faith that in entering into a relationship, that despite the required investment of time and emotional energy, the relationship will be mutually beneficial. And we don't know for certain how anyone's friendship, marriage, or family relationship will, will turn out in the beginning, nor what emotional highs or lows we will experience. What we do know is that we are all created for relationships with each other and that we see both healthy and hurtful relationships being lived out around us. At the outset, our hope is that this new friendship will be healthy and that we both can count on one another through thick and thin. So faith in our relationship is our assurance that we both have the capacity to handle the ups and downs in our lives despite what we see happening and other relationships. It's also our conviction that this will be so, despite having not yet experienced this friendship. And so that moves us from theory about faith to action, to actually being in that friendship. The author of Hebrews says the same thing about God's promise through Jesus. Faith in God's goodness and steadfast love through all times gives us the assurance we need despite the unkind and even unreliable events and people around us. Our conviction that this is so, despite not having tangible evidence, is what moves us to put action to our faith, especially when our convictions don't make sense to the world's way of thinking, or even sometimes our own. But faith, even though it is foundational, it still feels theoretical when you hear it described that way. Where does faith come from? And how do we get it? Well, first, in his letter to the Corinthians, Paul tells us that faith, 
like life itself, is a gift from God. Faith seems to be an extraordinary thing we cannot produce on our own. Paul places faith with hope and love as the greatest of Christian attributes. And then in Galatians, names it as a fruit of the Spirit, among or along with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, gentleness, and self-control. In a way, he seems to be saying none of those can, we can do on our own. They're all gifts. And these kind of attributes come from a transformation of our lives as the Spirit of God is first given to us. And then we learn to give ourselves away. So first, faith is a gift. Second, faith is something we do every day. It doesn't come and go. It's with us. It isn't a gift that we talk about. It's a change in perspective that creates a different attitude and action in us. The authors of James and Hebrews agree that faith by itself isn't really impressive and it's impossible to understand. James says faith without works is a dead faith. The author of Hebrews gives us stories of faith in action to further bolster our conviction of faith. And Abraham's faith story is the foundation of all our faith stories. His story further reveals what faith is and what it looks like in action. While there isn't a lot of detail about the fact that Abraham, other than the fact in Exodus that Abraham responds to God's call, packs up his things and sets off with Sarah and Lot towards Canaan, questions and fears of the journey ahead must have been present with Abraham and internally in his mind. He probably had folks he valued and were close to who discouraged such a foolish journey. Abraham, you're no, you're no longer young. Why don't you stay here and enjoy the fruits of your labor and the rest of your life among your own people? There's no way your, your journey is going to create out of you a kingdom or a, a, to be a father of a great nation. How is that going to happen? And who knows what's beyond our borders? There's sure to be thieves, a harsh climate, and wild animals. You're going to die out there, Abraham. But Abraham did start the journey. But that was just the start of his faith. It was still in its infancy. Like our journey of faith, his journey was often two steps forward and one step back. No sooner did Abraham leave Canaan, as we heard read in Exodus, and after seeing the land that God promised him, then that he and Sarah entered Egypt, and fearing for his own life, he chose to refer to Sarah, his wife, as his sister, since she was so beautiful, and he was afraid that Pharaoh would kill him if he knew that he, he was her husband. So he referred to her as his sister. Well, this led to terrible consequences for Sarah, and she was forced to become a concubine of Pharaoh's. Now, this didn't happen just once. It happens twice. The second time with the king Abimelech of Gerar. But when fear wasn't in control of Abraham, it was doubt. When he and Sarah couldn't become pregnant, they take control from God so that Abraham makes Hagar pregnant with a son named Ishmael. So it's clear that God's faithful people aren't faithful every time and every minute. We can confess that's true in our lives too. And we know faithless acts can often cause pain and frustration in our lives or in the lives of others. 
But Abraham's story does confirm doubts and fears don't have to have the last word. They can be overcome and learned from so that faith ultimately can be strengthened. You see, faith is much more like a winding road forward than a direct path between point A and point B. We just can't get there fast. It takes time. Almost always, faith is found in the journey. With all its steps, its stops, its detours of fear and doubt. God reveals throughout the biblical narrative that those detours are just as important, maybe more important, than the arrival. So much so, in fact, that God doesn't even give Abraham a destination when he calls him. Instead, God simply instructs Abraham to a place that I will show you. And somehow, probably because of the gift of faith, that was enough for Abraham. Whether we'd like to admit it or not, isn't this also true of our own life? Though we want to be in control and we want all the answers, oftentimes we don't know what's around the bend. And it takes faith to trust each day to itself and that God is walking the road with us. And since I'm mentioning arriving, Exodus tells us that Abraham and his descendants never do arrive for good in that promised land. Rather, they stay in tents and move around while powerful people rule the land God promised to Abraham. Like our Jewish forebears, we too remain on a journey of faith looking for a city whose architect and builder is God, whose kingdom we, on our best days, reflect for all creation to see and to be invited to participate in. Like Abraham's story, our faith stories may be one of the most convincing arguments for a good and faithful God who endures, endures joy with us and sorrow with us. I can look at our own congregation and I can recount numerous stories of ordinary folks carrying extraordinary burdens for sick parents or sick children, caring for neighbors, some of whom you, you know and are close to, but sometimes neighbors you don't, you don't know, of selflessly giving of themselves and giving of yourself because reflecting Jesus' nature in our sin-sick world is what we are called to do and you are being faithful. It seems that the gift of faith is just for that kind of witness. Not the showy kind, but the consistent kind of love that can be counted on again and again, despite who it is that needs it. That is the kind of faith that instills hope for our tomorrow. But still, we do have rough days. Days when the bad news won't stop, and the doubts linger, the fear takes over. It's on those days that we need the faith God gifted us through his Holy Spirit the most. In those moments, in those days of doubt and fear, will those around us be able to tell where our hope and conviction lay? Before the definition of faith in Hebrews 11, the author encourages his readers to persevere in the face of doubt and fear. At the end of chapter 10, the author quotes Habakkuk 2, 3 through 4. Don't think we spend too many days in the book of Habakkuk. It might be worthwhile. Habakkuk 2, 3 through 4 says this, For in a very little while, the one who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. 
My soul takes no pleasure in anyone who shrinks back. J. Estel Jones, a professor of New Testament interpretation, gives this translation of what follows in Hebrews 10. And I really like the way he translates it. He says this, Now we are not of the shrinking kind, headed for destruction, but of the faith kind, headed for the preservation of our soul. And faith is the essence of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In these days where doubt and fear seem so strong, may we be counted among those who are not of the shrinking kind. Rather, may our convictions in a good and loving God bring us comfort, even when it is hard to believe. And may our hope in a world that looks more like God's kingdom move us out of fear and into service, even when others remain still. May it be so. One of the ways that we are reminded